As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Today's episode of the VanCast is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to Robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.com fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield, APY, on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Vancast to start a week for you as I come your way from Tampa, the magic of technology, Drancer in Vancouver. Uh, before coming this way, Drancer, you got a long travel day ahead of you, I know that. And we should, full disclosure here, uh, let's just pull back the curtain a little bit. Uh, we should tell people what they're getting when they listen to the Vancast. They know that they're going to get quality Canuck content and all kinds of stories about the Vancouver Canucks. They're also getting Thomas Drance recording at 5.30 in the morning. So full credit to you. <laughs> Let's go. Anything for the podcast, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> the things you'll do when the team's on a seven-game win streak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and starting out uh, five in a row here, ten of the next 13 on the road. So you know, over the year we've said, hey, there are stretches of the schedule that are going to reveal a lot about the Vancouver Canucks. If this is a test, and certainly it will be coming all the way to the East Coast and facing a Tampa team that's won seven in a row as well, you don't find that very often midseason where you get two teams on a collision course, both of them carrying seven-game win streaks. But the Canucks are going to be tested as they work their way through Florida and then up to Buffalo 
Buffalo, Minnesota, and Winnipeg. But, man, uh, if ever there was a time to take on a task like this, it's with seven straight wins in the back pocket. Uh, we've talked about it a few times here on the podcast. But, uh, you know, it's a confident bunch. I know that these games are far from perfect. But uh, at the end of the day, they continue to find ways to win hockey games. Yeah, and, you know, the thing about being at on a seven-game win streak and at 42 games, right, is, is you can really break it down into – six seven game segments which is something I just did as an exercise the other day and you know the big difference I guess between what Tampa Bay's done and what the Canucks have done is that over the course of their win streak the Tampa Bay Lightning have outshot teams by 20 and they've out attempted teams by about 50 all told uh, all of these stats at five on five you know the Canucks have been outshot by over 50 and have been out attempted by 97 over the course of these seven games which is you know, some crooked numbers on the negative side of the ledger. If you look back to the past seven game segments that this team has faced, they haven't kind of had seven that were as ugly by shot attempt differential with the exception of that seven game stretch when both Sutter and Beagle were hurt. Uh, you know, that seven game stretch includes the Philly game where they generated like 16 shots the whole game. Uh, it includes the Dallas loss, the 6-1 loss, one of the worst losses of the season. Uh, it certainly includes the meltdown in Steeltown, as it were. Uh, you know, and, and when I look at that and when I look at how well Jacob Markstrom has played and the Canucks have received uh, 94 save percentage goaltending at 5-on-5 five five over the course of this win streak, you know, I, I kind of look at it as obviously banking these points is crucial at this point in the season, especially with how the Pacific Division is shaping up. But this has not been a seven-game stretch that has inspired a ton of optimism from my end. Like, this is a seven-game stretch where you know, they have to play better than this. Like, they have a fully healthy lineup right now. There's no sort of, none of the excuses that they had in that late November stretch where they were down Edler and they were down two centermen, um, you know, and on and on. I mean, they had McEwen playing in the top six, uh, Levo playing with the lotto line, you know, while Miller sort of rode shotgun with Horvat. Uh, I kind of look at this as a stretch that they need to play better through especially as they go on the road here and especially as some of these opponents you know there's no easy game on this trip and and they can't play the way that they have you know certainly against LA and the way they did against New York on Saturday uh, if they're going to maintain this form well since we recorded Jacob Markstrom has been added to the NHL all-star game the Pacific Division team he'll be the replacement for Marc-Andre Fleury but based on this play like you're starting to think maybe he should have been named there uh, on his own merits uh, first and foremost I know that there's a ton of politics and you know they're trying to squeeze a whole bunch of players into a, a limited roster and you got to cover off all the teams but uh, really good for Jacob Markstrom to get league-wide recognition like that even if it is in a fill-in role for Marc-Andre Fleury uh, I'm not so sure that uh, with the workload he's had that uh, you know a trip to St. Louis in mid-January on top of all the other travel that the Canucks are doing this month and next is ideal for him this workload he's played 11 of the last 12 for the Canucks but you know we keep saying it can't be you know it's not sustainable it can't keep happening and yet uh, the one thing that does seem sustainable is Jacob Markstrom playing maybe not at 94 percent with an even strength save percentage but uh, he's just so locked in right now and 
Uh, made one of the saves of the season, obviously, off Jacob Truba with three and a half minutes to go in a one-all tie. The two-pad stack that had people buzzing in Vancouver for days and probably will uh, continue. I joked on Twitter that uh, basically he wrote the armies for Wyatt in that moment, <laughs> and uh, certainly they, they featured prominently. But uh, look, it, it's been a ton of fun, and, and I asked him about the All-Star nod afterwards because we didn't get a chance to talk to him uh, you know, at the morning skate. And he downplayed it a ton, and, and I kind of laughed to myself as he went on about how really it's a reflection of the way the team's playing in front of him. I, I wanted to stop him and say, hang on a second, are you watching these games that you're playing in? Because, buddy, this really, I mean, it really, uh, it has been the Jacob Markstrom show, but, uh, you know, we've spent lots of time talking about uh, the duress that he's been under uh, for much of this year. Uh, it, it, I thought last year was his coming out party, but uh, he's taken it to another level. Yeah, and, you know, when you consider the path that Markstrom has had to become an NHL all-star at the age of 30, right? We're talking about the best goaltender outside the NHL coming in, right? He sort of made his debut and played extraordinarily well at something like 21, um, you know, had a, had a tremendous game, stopped like 40 shots against Philly uh, in one of his very first performances in the NHL, was seen as sort of the next big thing in the goaltending position and within four years had cleared waivers, right? And to you know, mature the way he has to become this high volume workhorse starter, right? He's, he's on pace to play 60 games for the third consecutive season. And, you know, he's got the second tied tied for the second best save percentage with Connor Hellebuck among workhorse starters in the NHL right now. And that's pretty tremendous. I mean, you know, sustaining this form will be uh, uh, difficult to do just because he's been elite. Like he's been one of on the fringes of one of the top five most valuable goaltenders in the NHL this season. That's a ridiculously high bar to try and maintain, but, you know, based on the way he looks in net, how comfortable, how composed, you know, how calm through personal and team adversity he's been all season, um, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't bet against him at this juncture. I think it's been an enormously impressive run for him. You know, I, I get asked an awful lot. You probably do, too. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago. In fact, just before this win streak started, you know, they had dropped three straight coming off that lost weekend in San Jose and Vegas, and then the home game against Montreal. They had dropped four or five at that point. And, and we all said, like, this is crunch time. Nobody was saying they were done and out of it. It was simply, like, if they don't get this thing cranked up here in a hurry, they're going to be in trouble. And to their credit, uh, you know, that was then. And all of a sudden, seven wins later, here they are uh, above the playoff bar. But it really hasn't given them a whole lot of comfort. Like, it's amazing when you think seven straight wins, they've picked up three points on Vegas over so a seven-game win streak. <laughs> I mean, they have gained ground on Edmonton and Calgary, uh, but Arizona's picking up again as well. But it, it, it's just sort of mind-blowing just how hard you have to work in the NHL when you fall off the pace, you know, just to catch up to the pack. And it's essentially they've needed this seven-game win streak. You know, in your eyes, I mean, goaltending obviously has been the biggest factor, but, you know, are there other things that you look at that have allowed this team to have this run of success? Well, the power play has been clicking, and they've been not only getting 94% goaltending at 5-on-5, five five, but they've been shooting 13%. And a lot of that's coming from depth scoring lines, right? We've seen, you know, Tyler Mott score goals through this run. Obviously, the Vertanen-Roussel line has been, uh, you know, extremely productive offensively. Uh, in terms of what I see, though, that's driving the success, I do see things that are ephemeral at the moment. Like, this is not a Canucks team that is you know, laying waste to opponents the way they did when they built that, 
you know, solid start in October and, and through the first couple weeks of November when, when their chances dried up on the offensive end. This is a team that's, you know, been opportunistic at both ends. They're getting goaltending that is better than anyone else, and they are finishing at a rate that's better than anyone else over the course of this run. And uh, for me, that makes me a little bit nervous in terms of, you know, what I evaluate uh, as being likely for this team going forward. Like, this is a team that I think really needs to get back to doing some of the things to control play that, that we've seen them do. Like, the good news, I guess, or the optimistic side of me would say... We've seen this team play a different way, so you know the the there's at least a ceiling there that they may be able to refine if they can get you know sort of the lotto line clicking again in terms of the ter- territorial game. They've gotten some exceptional games from Bo Horvat of late. Uh, they'll need that to continue. I think the third lines played pretty well, although they're playing you know bottom of the lineup competition, but they've been certainly annoying for the opposition in that role and you know the fourth lines really had probably their toughest stretch after 11 really strong games uh, up through Christmas when they were all healthy Mott, Schaller and Beagle uh, you know I think their form since Christmas has been you know troubling even though you know you've got to contextualize that by saying they really do play top six competition almost exclusively which is a tough tough job in the NHL so you know, I, I sort of look at this as, uh, you know, a run of form that is excellent for the team that they really needed that allowed them to bank some of these points. If they can stretch this win streak uh, another game or two, I mean, then you really get into that sort of territory where you can perform like the 20th best team in the NHL over the rest of the season and still be a 97 point team. Like that's sort of what a win streak can do for you in terms of banking points. And that's crucial. Can't take those points off the board, but I really do think that they need to get back to doing some of the things they've done well earlier in the year. Uh, otherwise, I just I think this is going to be some tough sledding. Like if this is what the Canucks are, if they're a forty five percent, you know, shot attempt differential team the rest rest of the way, I think they're going to be in tough to to hang on. I will say that one of the things, and it's tough to measure, but I mean, it has been a factor, there's no doubt, is that they've opened the scoring in eight straight games. So that streak extends beyond the win streak itself. Adam Gaudet opened the scoring against Montreal, that power play wrist shot when he beat Carey Price. They lost that night, but on the seven-game win streak, they have scored first in all seven and have only trailed in two of the games. They were down 2-1 to Edmonton. They came back to win that one. They were down 4-2 the other night against Chicago. They came back to win that one. So, you know, when they were losing hockey games, and for the first 30, 35 games of the season, falling behind, giving up that first goal, and then chasing games was a huge issue. You know, both teams want to score first. Like, there's no guarantee just because you want to score first that you're going to. And I think that, again, speaks to goaltending. Like, I think the Los Angeles game, you know, the Kings had the first nine or ten shots of the hockey game, right? Like, Jacob yeah. Markstrom, like, you know, he was terrific. It's funny. When you think of first goals of a game, you know, you need goaltending, right? Like, if your goalie stands on his head, as Markstrom has here, and just continues to be this force field until you can get a goal... Uh, you know, it's not always about scoring in the first minute or two minutes the way they did against the Rangers the other night, although Antoine Roussel seems to have this knack right now. In his return from the lineup, he scored, you know, early in the Alex Burroughs Ring of Honor. That was his first game of the season. He opened the scoring the first game of this win streak against Vegas under three minutes into the game, and then the other night it was uh, Roussel again. So, you know, he's a spark plug. We know that about him, uh, but he's translating that into goals. But it does, like, you know, they're not 
underwater in a lot of these games. So uh, it, that takes away some of the pressure, I suppose. I mean, Markstrom's obviously under pressure with the amount of shots that he's facing. But to their credit, they haven't had it. Like, they seem pretty comfortable playing in these tight games. And then, again, there's a huge element of luck to, you know, you're not going to win all these games late the way they have. But you think back to Tanev in overtime, uh, Quinn Hughes, a third-period power play against the Oilers, and uh, even got at the other night against Chicago, and then uh, Tyler Myers with under 90 seconds to go. So, you know, we often talk about luck. I know you do a lot, uh, and certainly there are massive <laughs> elements of it. <laughs> they play with fire, but somehow right now on this win streak, they've avoided getting burned. Yeah, and you know, I think that's one thing that sort of I, I've had some people in my mentions calling me. Uh, one one guy said that I'm a subversive writer who handles myself subversively, right? And it's it's like, well, go back to early November when the team was losing but unable to buy a bounce in the offensive end. And I was saying, ah, oh, they're fine. Like, uh, this looks good to me, uh, frankly, right? And then the bottom kind of fell out because of injuries. And, and I'll admit, I, my analysis sort of shifted accordingly. But the, you know, fact of the matter is, is that I'm looking at things that sort of stay consistent regardless of results. And, and I'm trying not to be the guy who sort of looks at a losing streak and says, oh, they're they're hosed and looks at a win streak and says, well, that, you know, this isn't just a playoff team, but a contender. Like what I see right now is a team that, you know, has on occasion been more formidable over small stretches and currently at least is going through a five on five stretch where, you know, I don't like the signal that I'm seeing, even though the results are there. And we'll sort of see where they sort of end up. But when you put it all together and you put what we've seen through 42 games together, you kind of get to a team that, you know, is going to be or should be playoff caliber and is probably banked enough points to to give their fans, you know, an exciting show over the balance of the season in terms of having a real credible shot at playing postseason hockey for the first time in five years. And you know, for me, I think that exceeds expectations on the whole based on what we would have expected coming in. But, you know, that sort of doesn't mean that their play over the course of the seven games is, you know, something that I look at as being extraordinarily auspicious aside from the points banked. And that's kind of just how I view the game. And, and <laughs> I know it can be frustrating uh, for, for people and, and maybe for our listeners, hopefully not. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of just how I'm looking at it. I mean, I, I see a team that's just, you know, riding some percentages at the moment. And, you know, if you're a good team with solid goaltending and, and good special teams, which the Canucks have had throughout, when the bounces start going for you five on five, like you can cook with oil, you can build these uh, streaks. Like if there's credit to sort of be doled out, and obviously there is, I think that's kind of what I'd, what I'd sort of point to is sort of the, uh, you know, borders of what this team has done well all season in terms of their special teams play and their goaltending allow for you to sort of rack up victories when, when things start to, when you start to sled downhill based on the percentages of five on five. Now, you know, eventually, like, it's not always, the go the going's not always going to be this good. Full credit to the team for taking advantage of it while it has been. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll sort of see if they're able to exert some of that control we've seen them exert in the past, you know, once the, once the bounces kind of begin to dry up here. Because, you know, I, I am looking at this five-game road trip as, as a pretty tough one. And, you know, I do think they're going to need to play some of that more sort of sturdy five-on-five -five game if they're going to you know, sort of get, what, the five or six points that you'd hope to get out of these next five games. 
They have been outshot in six of the seven games uh, on this win streak, only the Chicago game the other night. Let me put it to you this way. How much of a distinction do you draw between five-on-five play and five-on-five scoring, though? Because you know, the power play hasn't carried them on this stretch. Like they, they scored two power play goals in Calgary. And that was, you know, they got off to that nice start. They were up 3 nothing at the Saddle Dome in the back-to-back games coming out of the Christmas break. But, you know, they haven't had one of those three power play goal games or a four power play goal game. The power play has been steady. It has contributed. But earlier in the season, you know, this team was getting hammered. They were getting crushed for no five-on-five goals. The bulk of the scoring, at the very least, on this win streak has come at even strength. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think that's, uh, I mean, look, the power play's been really good through the stretch too right like genuinely really good and uh but the you know the 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 days of their second unit shooting 50 percent or thereabouts over a 20 game stretch like that might leave them right so i'm not surprised to see the power play cooling down a bit it was you know overheated a little bit but i i actually think in terms of the way it's generating at the moment the shot rate uh, some of the puck movement we've seen, you know, when I go back to the JT Miller tip in goal uh, against the, was that against the Blackhawks, right? Where, yes, yep. you know, the power play just expires. So he, the Canucks don't get credit for a power play goal, but at no point had the fifth defender kind of re uh, involved right. themselves in the play. Right. So, you know, for me, that's a goal generated off of power play pressure, even if it doesn't stand up as a power play goal. And, and, you know, when I look at sort of how the power plays looked to me, I I think in terms of the crispness of the puck movement, I think in terms of the breakouts, like I actually think it's maybe been better than some of the stretches where it's been more productive, especially the first units play. And, you know, that's kind of the bounces that, that you go through over the course of a season, but you know, at five on five anyway, uh, this is a team that's, you know, like they're, generating a, a ton of looks that are mostly finding the back of the net. And, and, you know, just to, just to quickly put like what I'm talking about in perspective uh, over the course of the seven game win streak, like the Canucks have a higher save percentage. If you just isolate the performance of Canucks goalies against scoring chances only, like they've stopped 92% of scoring chances that they've faced there's only 10 teams in the NHL over a comparable stretch dating back to December 19th that have that high a save percentage on all shots faced. <laughs> like, that's how good Canucks goaltending has been. And, and they also sort of lead the, the NHL in, in shooting percentage over the course of that uh, sort of stretch. And, you know, when you're uh, PDOing at a 107, I mean, everything kind of looks right. And I just, you know... Ultimately, when I when I sort of peel back and, and you know that I do this pretty regularly, when I kind of peel back the small sample performance and and sort of look for positives, I mean, other than the results, other than the points banked, which obviously is what matters the most uh, once the whistle blows on game 82. But other than that, uh, you know, I don't see a ton to like right now. And, and that's kind of you know, reflecting my tone on this podcast, or maybe it's that it's 530 in the morning. <laughs> well, you, you've undergone a, a fun exercise that's uh, going to be posted at The Athletic by the time people listen to this. Uh, it'll be there uh, to accompany uh, the podcast. And that is, and look, I love revisionist history. Uh, you have gone back, you had preseason predictions, and now that the Canucks have just passed the midway mark, you have essentially graded yourself on your preseason predictions to see <laughs> what came true and where you fell a little bit short. And I'll oh, give you credit. Savage. You, you, 
<laughs> what? Well, I just you don't I, think... I don't think I did that well. I thought uh, you started off well, or maybe at least maybe that's the way you framed it in the in the column. Uh, I've had a chance to uh, review the column before it got posted, but uh, uh, let's just have a little fun and go back through a few of these because look, I mean nobody's nobody's got a crystal ball, obviously. And predictions uh, predictions are one of those things. If you get them right, you never hear about it again. But if you get them wrong, you know people love to pile on, right? Like that's just the way uh, it works, certainly uh, in Canucks Twitter. So I'm sure you'll hear from a few people as uh, you go along here, but. No, I mean you. Like we've spent a lot of time talking about the power play, and and you expected it would be better. Uh, I don't know if you expected it was going to be this good, but uh, here they sit at the midway mark, just past the midway mark. Forty power play goals. They didn't score one against the Rangers the other night, so they're still sitting on forty, which is a a league best. And you had them pegged for what fifty five? Yeah, I thought. Well, at least I think I did use the words at least, but I thought at least fifty five, which would have made them the I think eighth best power play last season so I figured if uh I figured they would be a top third power play uh, all told and and you know I think they've already performed well enough that the baseline to accomplish that's pretty low uh the rest of the way out so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna be right on that one I I didn't think they would be this dynamic this quickly I thought when you looked at the talent level up high especially with Besser Hughes and Pedersen sort of complementing each other I thought there was a tremendous amount of ceiling and potential there but with the way that they've congealed immediately, uh, with the potency of the second unit, uh, and how well a player like JT Miller has kind of fit in uh, and added so much versatility uh, to their five-on-four play, uh, you know, I'd say they've exceeded my expectations, but I did expect them to be pretty good in that area. And, uh, you know, full credit to Canucks coaches, Newell Brown, and, and obviously the young core. Uh, they've proven themselves pretty dynamic, and, and I think the Canucks have a, a shot at being you know, talked about in the sort of way that we've talked about the Capitals over the past five years or the or even the Tampa Bay Lightning going forward, uh, just based on, you know, the youth that some of their players sort of still possess and, and the fact that they should all have a chance to learn from one another, uh, get even better in terms of some of the details on the power play uh, as the Canucks sort of progress as a team over the next decade. Uh, you expected improvement from Elias Pettersson, and, and that's not going out on a huge limb there. Although, you know, there were some questions about the second half last year and whether it was fatigue, whether a few of the injuries caught up with him, whether the league was on to him, whatever the case. I think he showed in the first half uh, of last season, his rookie season, that he was an elite talent already, and he's taken it up a notch. So you, you certainly weren't wrong with that prediction that he was going to be better than he was last year. No, and, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm... I mean, I'm impressed by what we've seen from his two-way game and his assertiveness controlling play five-on-five five, all told has been high-end. Uh, you know, to be the center on, and granted he doesn't take face-offs, but he is very clearly the center once open play begins, uh, to be the center on one of the top territorial lines in the sport at the age of 21, uh, you know, that, that shouldn't be underplayed. I mean, that's a pretty rare thing to see. Uh, and I think Augur is very well for what he's going to be able to do in this league uh, over the course of the next five years. But but I think the two-way step that he's taken, uh, I predicted it. But, uh, I mean, I think it speaks to just how special he is as a talent. All right, we should get to the lightning round here because I want to cover off a bunch of these, uh, but we'll do it in rapid fashion. Uh, Quinn Hughes, the ice time leader for the Vancouver Canucks by the, what was it, the 50-game mark? Yep, 50-game. Last 32, I think he'll lead the team in ice time. He's led the team in ice time uh, currently. Uh, since about 
you know, November uh, since Edler got hurt. We'll kind of see how that uh, unfolds here. Brock Besser, a 40-goal scorer. There's some work to be done there. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to hit that one. Uh, you know, his shot rate is down, and especially down on the power play, which is kind of the logic that I was seeing. I think he's going to be hard-pressed to score 27 the rest of the way. You have Bo Horvat down as a plus player for the first time in his career. Certainly, this has been a terrific week for Bo Horvat. You touched on <laughs> yeah. that earlier. I, I, you know, I don't know if this is a springboard to a big second half, but, uh, you know, this one is well within his grasp, and I guess in turn within your grasp. Well, and I wrote the column prior to the 40th game. I was originally going to run it over the weekend, and we sort of pushed it to Monday. So I actually wrote the thing, and it was really negative, like, oh, man, I really missed on this one. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, he was plus four against Chicago and plus two against the Rangers. So I was able to go through and take a little bit more of a triumphalist <laughs> um, sort of tone to it. Uh, but look, he's got a shot. Uh, I think if he can maintain the two-way gains that he made this week, right, if he can play the way he did against the Rangers and the Blackhawks, uh, for me, those were his two best games of the season. Um, if that's sort of closer to the Bo Horvat we see on the way out, I think there's no question he'll be a plus player. All right. One of your predictions was that Jake Vertanen wouldn't be part of this mix at the trade deadline. Uh, where do you stand on that one now? Yeah, no, I, that's just wrong. Walk walk me <laughs> off a cliff. <laughs> I won't, I won't do that. I need a podcast partner. So. <laughs> well, you're very kind. <laughs> uh, you had Jacob Markstrom taking a step back. We've spent a ton of time park, talking about yep. Markstrom. You had Markstrom taking a step back and Sven Berchi being a bigger part of what this group is all about. <laughs> yep, those are, uh, those are L's. <laughs> yeah, there's, some, there's some red in my ledger here. Let's... Uh... Let's move on. <laughs> are, are you sure you want to? Because oh, I've sort of boy. saved this one. Oh, boy. Uh, and you mentioned them a moment ago, but look, I mean, we've had fun throughout uh, the whole year with the, the bubblegum bet on Tim Schaller, uh, who had those four goals in a three-game span, and I was uh, worried that uh, I didn't stand a chance. That was 29 games ago. Uh, your man has not put a puck in the net since, and you had 30, I repeat, 30 goals from the fourth line of the Vancouver Canucks. I think they're sitting at like five or six or or maybe they're up to seven but whatever the case 30 just uh I'm, sorry i can tell you right now 30 ain't happening well i sorry i if you read the column jeff i'm taking credit for 10 <laughs> i'm taking credit for the grayovac goals ah <laughs> uh, okay but two um, of them were on the power play no i know but the, there's no game state specified like i'm definitely fair taking enough. credit fair, for schaller's shorthanded one I'll, so i should get I'll the grayovac no. You can have the Grayovac ones. I'll, I'll gladly give you the Grayovac ones. Yeah. I'm not giving you 30. Oh, boy. Yeah. No, I uh, look, no question. This is uh, this was rough. Um, so it goes. And, uh, and you know, I, I think the point I was trying to make was that Vancouver's bottom six issues were more likely to be third line issues than fourth line issues. And I had high hopes for what Mott and Schaller could do offensively this season, clearly. Like, I thought both could be a 10-goal 10, 10 scorers. So I went for 30 rather than the 25 that I kind of was really sort of thinking about because, you know, it's a bold predictions column. You need to keep those bold. And, uh, yeah, look, didn't work out for me, so it goes. Um, as I recall, Anton Rodin for 15, right, Jeff? <laughs> uh, somewhere way back when, and I think Granlin... 
<laughs> Marcus Granlin, when he used to play in the NHL, I think I had him pegged as a 19-goal scorer or something <laughs> like that. Or no, he was a 19-goal scorer. I had him for 20 or 24, I don't know. Right. But yes, that's why we don't re- we see we don't revisit those kind of predictions. <laughs> Look, we just it's touch uh, on the ones that come true. It's a it's a tough game. It's a tough game and and having to be accountable in this manner. Uh, you know, so it goes. wasn't wasn't a ton of fun to put, to work through the last five of my predictions, um, though I think I had a decent handle on the first five. Uh, you know, so it goes. Maybe next season it'll be a five bold predictions column just to protect me from the back end embarrassment. <laughs> well, and the final one was playoffs, and we just don't know. But they're certainly in a better shape or in a better state. Uh, than they were a couple of weeks ago and at the outset of the season when I think a lot of people thought that they would once again fall short. So that's why we cover this team and we'll see where this road leads. Uh, 42 down, 40 to go, starting with a five-game road trip in Tampa. You're coming this way. The sun is shining. Uh, we'll see you when you get here. Safe travels and uh, we'll do another one of these pods uh, from uh, out here on the road somewhere a little later in the week. Yeah, let's, uh, let's record one. I think we should do one after the Florida game. Uh, before we leave uh, my old home, um, just to just to talk about a pair of big Florida returns, uh, JT Miller and and obviously with less fanfare myself. <laughs> All right, uh, safe travels, and we'll see you when you get here. All right, looking forward to it, Jeff. Cheers. All right, there you go. That is uh, uh, the latest VanCast to get you started this week as the Canucks head out on the road. Five-game trip that'll take them through Tampa, down to Sunrise, Buffalo, Minnesota, and it'll wrap up in Winnipeg. That's going to do it for the VanCast here on The Athletic and theathletic.com.